Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Ladies Night. It is episode three of Beauty in the Cleats. As you guys can see, I've changed up my background a little bit. I got a nice little poster to go along with our show. Kaylee, welcome to the show. How are we oh, doing? Oh, goodness. It's good. You know, week three, I'm here for it. My power went out twice before the broadcast, so I'm hoping that means it won't go out during the broadcast because I think third time's the charm on neither of us dropping out of this show. And if everybody uh, into episode one, we did have a similar situation where I panicked for about 30 seconds, but I got it together and I just got Evan in there to take your place. It was pretty awesome. Last week, I really thought that like I had dropped out instead of you. So I was just like silent because I thought it was me. I was like trying to get back on and Evan's like, oh, I'll help you out. And I was like, oh, it's, it's real. It's, <laughs> it's, like, yeah, I think definitely live. There's like this little devil button on my keyboard that if you press, like it turns off the Wi-Fi on my computer and somehow okay. like I touched that button and the Wi-Fi went out. Who asked for that? I, no Who one. That I can't have those kind of things on my keyboard like, accessible. I can't do it. That person needs um, to be fired. Thank you to everyone that's tuning in on all the live platforms, whether it be YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, wherever you're at. We are so grateful that you're here to be here for episode three of Beauty and the Cleats. Uh, I am your host, Ruth the Truth, and I'm joined by lovely Kaylee. I'm not going to keep butchering her name. I'll go ahead and let her <laughs> pronounce that for you. Is, is it Chikoski? Chikoski. Koski. All right. Kos, Kos. Chikoski. All right. I'm eventually mm -hmm. going to get that down, hopefully by episode... <laughs> I like that comment. I like that comment. Yeah. Thank you, Taylor, for tuning in. We appreciate you. <laughs> Finally. Um, we're going to go Three ahead and get our first host onto the show. It uh, is uh, extremely a small world. I met this friend through Twitter, and it so happened that I was friends with a high school buddy of his, so everything just full circle. So I, I'm going to go ahead and invite Charlie Floyd to the show. Welcome in, Coach Charlie. Hey, how are you guys? Thank you for having me, Ruth. So I gotta have I gotta ask you real quick. Okay, so your Twitter name is DJ. Uh, what is it? DJ Flow. Yep. <laughs> so is that just like? Do you have any under background, you know, talents that you DJ on the side as well, or is that just you know DJ Flow? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So back in college, I did some DJing. I won't say how long ago I was in college, but it, it works out kind of that my last name's Flo. So, I mean, I, I guess I was kind of chosen to be in the entertainment industry with the last name. <laughs> so, um, I, I retired to DJ, I guess you could say headphones. I don't know what you retired as a DJ, but um, I've retired to turntables and just coach now. <laughs> Right. Just ask David Guetta. I don't ever think he's going to turn in those turntables. Mm -mm. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Charlie. We really appreciate you coming in. Um, just give us a little bit of background about yourself. How did you got into sports and how you got into coaching? Where did this all start? Where did the journey begin? Gosh, I mean, we're talking back in the early mm -hmm. 80s when uh, my parents, you know, were both into sports, played team sports growing up. And then father just kind of took me to baseball games as a little kid and started taking me to basketball games. and. You know, he took me to every sport you could think of, football. And I just became mm -hmm. such a, 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 like that typical American kid, a fan of every single sport. And I played every sport under the sun. And soccer and basketball, the ones that I gravitated towards and just became kind of my focus in my high school years. And then I guess, um, you know, it, it, my, my career was very cut short when I was 19. I, my, my soccer career ended um, due to surgery. So I kind of was... Nice. Kind of found, covered the whole coaching thing in the early 2000s that, you know, I feel like 
had a bigger impact, obviously, as a coach than a player. And I've actually, I get more joy out of coaching than actually playing. Right, right. Can you tell us about the couple teams that you are coaching? Because, I mean, the, your uh, your Twitter bio goes on and on and on. So give us just a little bit of rundown about the teams that you are, are leading. Yeah, a couple is a, a short summary of what I do. I've, I, I've technically got five teams that I, I, I head coach, manage, whatever you want to call it. I've got um, three girls teams that I'm a head coach of, um, youth teams from ages 12 to like 15. And I got an 18-year-old team that I'm assistant for. And then I got a professional development women's team um, that I coach also. So it's, it's a balance of five teams. So it's uh, like I'm sitting in my car now. I spent a lot of time driving. So if you're a coach, you better find a comfortable car. Right. So you just got finished with a game, did you not? Was it a practice or a game? It was a practice, yeah. I just did um, – I just coached three teams. So from us speaking earlier today, since we last spoke, I've coached three teams since then. Okay. So it's been about three hours since our last yep. phone call. So it's busy. <laughs> So, you know, being a coach of, you know, girls sports, seeing women's soccer kind of expand in the United States, especially with the Angel City announcement, then you've got Louisville coming up. How do you feel like this country is embracing not only professional women's sports, but especially women's soccer? I mean, I think Angel City had one of the most successful brand rollouts in general of any sports team, but all the people that they've got kind of behind the curtain investing in that, do you think that that is going to see kind of an, an explosion in girls, you know, as children getting into soccer because of that? Or do you see, do you think we'll see growth in any other aspects of soccer? I think it's one of those, it bridges those gaps. I think that the girls soccer is always there. It's, it's been one of the most popular sports that young girls play. But it's that thing of they play in the high school and then they start losing. You know, the ones that play in high school that don't play in college might lose interest and, and they don't even really get into the professional game. And, and now we're seeing that that bridge beat gap that these young girls that whatever level they play at, now they have true professional teams that they, they can look up to and have these role models. So I think it's 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 amazing. And then when we see these high profile people in LA getting behind it, you know, that I think that they're they're jumping in and realizing this is something to invest in. It's only going to get bigger. I mean, Portland's an example. They average like eighteen thousand a game. Mm-hmm. That you find the right group and the right energy and the right people and the right platform, and the people will get behind you. We've just seen, I think, a lot of times in, in women's soccer. I think it's just been mismanagement. You know, it's not that the fans aren't there; it's just mismanagement. For sure, for sure. And I think you know, along with women's teams, we're seeing a growth in men's teams as well. We've got a few expansion teams coming up in the next few seasons. Why do you think that we're seeing that explosion now? I mean, I think, you know, certain MLS, um, I would say markets have been rather successful. Obviously, I spent time in Orlando. That is a really just amazing atmosphere at those games. But I know this country as a whole kind of shifts toward either European soccer or just kind of away from soccer in general. So why do you think that we're seeing this explosion with expansion teams, especially in the past, you know, I don't know, couple years. And then in the next three years, we've got five teams coming up. Yeah, I think it's kind of like you look at the evolution of sport, you know, that I think that every sports has this, how it evolves in the country of the U.S. You, you look at our parents' generations and, and baseball was the number one sport. In the 50s and 60s, football was tying, trying to emerge as the sport now American football rules Sunday. So I think that we're slowly seeing that eventually soccer's going to be that thing because 
you look at the generation from my generation down to your generation, every kid can relate. They've played soccer. Almost mm-hmm. every kid under this gun, our age group from the eighties to like the two thousands has played soccer in some format. Not every kid has played football or baseball, but everybody's played soccer. So I think it's one of the things where people are starting to realize you don't got to beg for investors anymore. People are realizing, wait, I can get in now at the ground floor and the amount, if I'm some type of person who wants to own a sports franchise, you know, good luck getting into the other four major sports because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just, not going to happen, but I think it's easier with the way soccer is set up in America. You don't have to set up an MLS team. You can go the the you know USL route, and then the, the club that I coach with, you can go WPSL or you can go MPSL. Um, these minor league teams that really all you got to do is have a couple thousand in your pocket. So if you've got a couple thousand dollars, you can literally start a professional level soccer team in America. You just can't do that with any other sport in America. So right. see, we've seen that model throughout the MLS where these teams, the clubs have already existed. Like Atlanta didn't just jump in. They existed on a youth level. They had the, the buzz there with their minor league teams. So I think that's why I think soccer works because you can start at a minor level and slowly build up. You don't have to have a, a massive 50,000 to 60,000 capacity stadium. You can get a 20,000 capacity stadium and still be a successful MLS team. For sure. You're, you're, uh, you're on mute, Ruth. <laughs> All right, me to myself. Charlie, I just wanted to ask you, what was your take on the 2019 uh, FIFA World uh, Women's World Cup with it being led by Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan and those kind of players? What kind of impact do you think the women doing so good in the World Cup, how do you think that had on girls playing sports and being looked at in sports? Oh, it's great because, you know, I, like I said, I, I coached the four girls team and I have the women's team that, you know, plays one level below um, the – and it was subtly they play. And so it has a massive effect that, you know, that every one of my players that I coach watches the game, watch and we had watch parties and, you know, we, we can talk about it after Travis's after games. It, it, it was, it was definitely the talk of the town, talk of the country, talk of the world that we had to win the world cup. It, it's just that the pressure is so paramount on these women that they have to win the world cup But the men are just kind of like, Oh, let's get there and win a game or two. The pressure for the women to make our sport big for the women is they have to win it all. So, and I love the fact that they expanded the World Cup 2014 before it sat at 16. So we're used to the men's World Cup having 32 teams. So we're seeing these nations start to develop programs and we're seeing good countries getting left out of the World Cup. So now with the 24, not sure if they're going to keep it at 24, expand 32 the next World Cup. But I mean, that's what you want to see. You want to see the growth where all 24 teams come in and compete. Were you completely shocked with the 13 and 0 um, ending score of the very first game of the Women's World Cup? Insane. No, not not at all. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's one of those things that me and a lot of friends talk about that they treat the women's game and the men's game the same within qualifications. And, and I and I and it, and it's I'm actually a little frustrated because is you're comparing the amount of teams to qualify from Asia and all the different comp- confederations pretty much that they want to have an, a, sort of an, a, an equal, close to equal number as the men. And it's not right because we've seen the women's game develop differently within different continents. You know? So right. it, it, it is tough that a team like Thailand, you know, would not even come close to qualifying out of Europe. Let's count the but, you know, you, you do have a lot of these, you know, 
countries that deserve to be in the World Cup, but there's just not enough spots, you know, in the World Cup. So hopefully they'll get on that level. Well, they're allowed to have 32 teams. So we see more of the European teams and even North America, you know, we have Costa Rica just missed out, you know, and, and would have loved to see Rodriguez, you know, Rocky Rodriguez from Portland playing the World Cup. So it's, 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 I think, a thing where FIFA needs to sit back and, and, and break down each confederation and, and look at the best teams and see what will bring the best World Cup. What's going to get the best teams to the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, it's been an astronomical thing to watch these women's team like make such an impact on women's sports and just for them to be known that it's not just men that can bring the viewers, it's also the women. It's been such a crazy year with the COVID. I want to know how how has your COVID been with your coaching situation with your teams? How has that have affected the way you guys uh, you know prepare for the season? Yeah, it's it's really really been hard. Um, it was very hard on me at first. Um, it, it's very hard on any youth player. I mean, I have a lot a lot of girls on my teams have a lot of confidence issues and, and struggle with a lot of you know, different, you know, self-esteem issues that, that, you know, that a lot of, I think boys kind of bury and, you know, forget about. So I, I've had quite a few of my girls telling me they're nervous to play again. And it, it's, I, I don't get many of my male players saying that, but it, it's that part. It, it really hurts me as a coach deep down the side. When you hear a girl say, I'm nervous to play a game that I played all my life, but I haven't played a meaningful game in like nine months. Because um, one of my girls' teams um, has a game this weekend for the first time. They haven't played a meaningful game since March. So we've been practicing since July. So I think it's it's the big thing that the mental aspect of the game that as coaches and as humans, we really have to, I think, weigh heavy on this whole COVID thing and how we're treating our children, how we're treating youth sports that, you know, that, you know, we, we find out one day we can play. We find out one day we can't play. And it's just, I think that, as a society's politicians, they really need to think, you know, if they have a kid or daughter, you know, how would you deliver this message to your daughter? How would you deliver this message to your son? And I think that's the hardest thing to explain to these kids that, you know, they've done everything they've been asked by the CDC, followed all the guidelines to keep safe. And then you hear news where out of Philadelphia, we weren't, we're not allowed to play in our own city. Now we're allowed to practice, but all of our games are on the road now. So technically We've got some home games that are 45 minutes away from Philly because we couldn't find fields. So it, it, it's tough on these poor girls that are doing everything that we ask them to do. And they feel, and I feel out of control. And the first time as a coach that I have zero control over a situation. And, and it's same thing with you guys in life it, that you have zero control out of what's being done in the outcome. So it, it's a lot of learning as a coach. There's no manual on it, but it's something we're going to learn, hopefully, for future generations, how to handle a pandemic better. For sure. And I think we're seeing every sport at every level really struggle. Um, decisions being made and then changed. And now we're kind of getting really into those professional seasons. And speaking of Philly, we're going to, you know, we're we're jumping off with NFL football tomorrow. Do you have any – I want to hear your predictions for the season. How do you think the Eagles are going to do? I'm notoriously an anti-Philly person, so I would love for you to convince me out of that mentality. Well, first okay. we got we to gotta double check. Are you a Philly, you know, Philadelphia Eagles fan? I mean, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I've lived here since 1996. Um, I was three. It was an easy <laughs> adoption to, to pick up the Eagles as my team. I never liked the Cowboys. I never liked the Redskins. I grew up in Redskins territory. <laughs> but I never figured it out. I grew up in Southern Virginia, but I, I always 
felt we weren't DC enough. So a lot of my friends were Redskins fans and I was like, yeah, but we're like free agents. We're in Southern Virginia. We can pick any team. So um, when I moved to Philly in 96, I never really cheered for the Eagles, but I found myself cheering for the Eagles against the Cowboys and Redskins. So I was like, all right, well, instead of doing it maybe four or five weeks a year, I'll just do it 17, 16 weeks a year <laughs> now cheering for them. So um, I, I'm fine with you being anti Philly. That's totally fine. I got to find out what you're pro of. What, 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 what C are you pro for? So I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, as you can see mm-hmm. the stars. Okay, I know that head. from your, so your, 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 your so all you your social media. Don't get along. I am. I was born in Jacksonville, um, and so I'm a Jaguars fan. So it's very disappointing. But I will say, I think the the Philly fans get a bad a bad rap. I don't know if it's bad or if it's accurate. That's kind of what I'm I'm struggling with. <laughs> no, I think it's it's how I sum up Philly fans because I was at once I'm an outsider that kind of was adopted by the city. Is that when you have people that are so passionate. There, it's 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 pretty much like religion, where it becomes so much ingrained in their DNA, and that they are the diehard fans. Where they get that rap of that if it's not Philadelphia, we don't want it, we don't hate it. There's not that you know you don't talk to Philadelphia and say, oh, my second city's Boston or my my third city Chicago. You, they don't have this ranking. It, it's it's basically Philly or bust, and they're so passionate about their team that they live and die with their team. I mean, I've gone to games where the Eagles are like out of the playoff race. It's it's like middle of December. They got nothing to play for, but these fans, they're cheering their faces off. And it's it's something to be, you know, it, it's 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 kind of neat to go to these games that you think on paper are meaningless, but the fans you show up, you're gonna get that atmosphere. So why I think the Eagles I think will win the East this year is you have every single NFL, NFC East coach except Doug Peterson are all rookie coaches. Or not rookie coaches. Well, they're first-year coaches. Mm-hmm. First-year coaches that have not had a single preseason game. So outside of COVID, maybe it's an even playing field, but it's just going to be the funkiest NFL season with zero preseason. Mm-hmm. And technically tomorrow night, NFL season starts, and then comes Sunday, all these NFC East teams outside the Eagle are playing with a new coach, new system, new personnel. So holy moly, I, I think the week one may be sloppy sack for every NFL team. Yeah. Ruth, yeah, I mean, jump in on your uh, your Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like I have to defend us just quite a bit. I mean, you did mention that there are a lot of changes going on in the NFL, and it started with our coaching staff. So I believe that we have a whole restart to this season with Mike McCarthy taking the reins. Do you have a prediction of if, uh, like, what your your Eagles are going to end up being at the end of the at the end of the season? Like, what are their games going to look like? I think it's going to be they're going to finish 11 and 5 and I think they're going to edge out Dallas. Dallas I think will finish 10 and 6. I think that if you had to rank the coaches on resume, Mike McCarthy is, you know, the best coach of all the NFC East coaches, but he is inheriting a new team. So it's just a matter of how quick to speed are they with his style of play because it's it's a different it's case come from Green Bay, you know what he did in Green Bay, different type of quarterback. So I mean, it's I think Dallas, it's going to come down to Dallas and Philly. I mean, let's be honest, Washington and Giants, they'll be lucky to win about five games. <laughs> you don't believe in Danny Dimes? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody? I want my change back. <laughs> and the Jaguars have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Redskins and the Giants combined. <laughs> wow, I actually like that take. I have a question for you. 
When are we going to see Jalen Hurts this year? Are we going to see Jalen Hurts this year? I, I think that we will. I think it, it, it's it's he's the kind of guy that we got. Nick Schofield is is technically the backup. He's probably technically number two because of how well he knows the offense. He's been around Philly a couple years. Technically has a Super Bowl ring. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you put a guy like Hurts in there that that has just that God given physical ability and talent as an athlete, and you're a coach. Even if he's a decoy, you put him on the field. You, you find some use for him on, on, on a random third down and short. You know, a third and three, you put him in there, and it's like, well, gosh, now I got two guys can throw the ball. I got a quarterback can run with the ball. I got a quarterback I can pitch out to. So I don't see why you don't have a couple packages lined up for him just set up. I'm predicting that Jalen Hurts is going to take the, over the starting position because, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the tabloids, but Carson Wentz has already been having some uh, soft tissue um, issues during practice and I you know I think they just were trying to be nice by saying he's soft um, yeah so it's, it's, a, it's a weird term Ruth soft tissue I mean like like what is there hard tissue right <laughs> <laughs> right right do you have faith that uh, Carson Wentz could lead you guys into the playoffs and maybe even win a playoff game for the first time ever yeah and that's, <laughs> that's the asterisk you know a healthy Carson Wentz yes and it's it, it so stinks because he got knocked out in that Seahawks game via concussion which isn't his fault but it is his fault too it's like you got to take care of yourself got to take care of the ball you got to play smarter um that's the thing is he's not a we haven't seen him be a 16 for 16 guy like a 16 start 16 games all the way through i think back from his rookie season but you know they finished seven and nine his rookie season so that's the thing is we always had that nick Foles insurance policy and we don't have that and You know, and, and the thing is, Doug's going to go probably with with um, Schofield as the backup. But you know, hey, I, if I'm a, if I'm the coach, I'm 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 dressing three quarterbacks that day. <laughs> you need some type of insurance, but no, you make a big point that mm-hmm. Nick Foles is not there to pick up the pieces when uh, Carson Wentz falls apart. So I'm a little bit nervous for you guys, but I mean, Jalen Hurts is an exceptional quarterback, and I'm I you know he's great on his feet. So I'm hoping that he will make up for what you guys lack. <laughs> Yeah, that's what kills me about the preseason. We would have seen these preseason games, like preseason game three and four. Those are the like barn burners. You know, the first two games the starters play by week three and four, these guys are sitting on the sidelines. They'll, they'll they'll dress. It's like a dress rehearsal. And I think that's the biggest thing I'm missing out on preseason football is just to see what these guys can do. Because I can't imagine a coach having to cut players that never played a meaningful game. It's like me, you know, coaching my girls. Okay, I got to cut you, but we never played a game, coach. <laughs> Right. That's true. That's got to be tough. Yeah. We're definitely going to be missing preseason of everybody just shaking off the rust of not playing for so long. So let's uh, let's turn the gears here and talk some NBA. Uh, are you a Philadelphia 76ers fan? And if not, who is your NBA team that you support? No, I am. I am. I'm a, I'm a five for five Philly guy. I support like all the teams. And this was definitely a very painful, weird season because they cruised to the regular season, you know, flirting with that three or four, you know, seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And then the COVID thing, it just with the injuries and everything with, with going on with Ben Simmons, it was just the timing was horrible. So, right. I mean, would have, could have, should have, if the COVID wouldn't happen, who knows what they could have done in the playoffs. I don't think they would have gotten swept by Boston. You know, they might not have been the sixth seed, but it definitely – I really felt, you know, that I'm not sure I agree with the whole firing of the head coach thing, but when you get swept in the first round, when you, you know, potentially, you know, we're talking about NBA finals 
in the preseason, it, it just, it's, it stinks, you know? Yeah. So I have nothing against it. I wouldn't have done it, but I can see why they did it. So sure. with you being a coach, um, you have a lot of experience and you have a lot of, you know, intelligence when it comes to coaching position. Who do you, who would be a good fit for the 76ers right now? I mean, you have, Billy Donovan, who has just been released um, from OKC. You have Nate, uh, Nate McMillan from the Pacers. Who do you see sliding into that spot? And do you have anybody in mind that could carry your I mean, team? I've heard about the Tyron Lue, and, and I'm not a big fan of Tyron Lue as a coach. I think that he's – But he won a championship. Yeah, and I think that if, if you've got some of the players – if you give me LeBron, I'm going to at least win 45 games at the minimum, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's just by holding a clipboard with nothing on it. And I think that we, we, we have to evaluate – the coaches that do the most with the least amount of talent and the coaches that do the most with the most amount of talent. I mean, like you look like a Phil Jackson. He has some of the best teams in the world, but he's winning 70 games. Unbelievable. Like he, he wins almost every game. So I think that, that that's the thing you got to look at is player management and the relationship these coaches have. I, I like Billy Donovan. I've respected him from way back in the, his college days, I think with Florida. So, I mean, I really, yeah. I, I like him a lot as a coach because he, he's had to manage a lot of egos. Um, and I think that that's how you got to look at it, that, that nothing to disrespect Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, but those are some players that have egos. And, and we've known, jo- you know, Joel Embiid is, 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 is he's hot on the mic. He, he likes to express himself. So I think it's a coach that comes in, knows where his players are, not necessarily puts them in their place, but just kind of like, kind of like some of the problems that Larry Brown had and Aaron Iverson. They went back and forth a lot. And by the end of Larry Brown's tenure here in Philly with Iverson, they were best friends. You know, it's that thing where, I think a coach really has to come in and, and rein in some of these younger 20 year old players and be that father figure, you know, and, and get them to see the game and help them mature. Cause I think that's the biggest thing is, is the 76ers have the talent, but they don't have the maturity. So they, I think that they need a, a veteran coach and I think they need to sign some veteran players that can play a role and just to kind of rein in these guys. And then that's what I hate about them, you know, not re-signing JJ Reddick because he was such a leader and they didn't yeah. have that super leader six man on the team anymore how do you feel about jimmy butler being traded to miami like did you guys not like jimmy buckets in your town oh man <laughs> i, I mean i like him so much i almost bought him a jersey i mean i mean i mean my <laughs> nephew got a jersey i almost bought my nephew a jersey for christmas but my my uncle jumped jumped me to the gun but yeah i was all about um jimmy butler and i think that those are the kind of guys that are a core of a team that just have that winning mentality that that can just carry a team and we saw what he did in a stretch of the regular season last year, ending in 2019. And I think that hurt more than anything because it's just like a J.J. Redick and a Jimmy Butler, these guys that are just straight up clutching a fourth, you know, yeah. that you take those guys off the team, look at the Sixers, they got swept. They didn't have Mr. Fourth Quarter. You took two Mr. Fourth Quarters off the team. Right. All right, so we're going to ask you one more question before we get Mm -hmm. you out of here, and it's definitely NFL-related. I want to know your perspective on Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski uh, being rejoined Mm -hmm. in Tampa Bay since me and Kaylee also (laughs) work with a Bucks Life media Mm -hmm. podcast called Set the Sales every Monday night at 8, 9 p.m., so make sure to check us out then. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. Coach Charlie, let us know. How do you feel about Tom Brady possibly ending his career in Tampa Bay? How do you – what do you – do you respect the move? Man, I, I don't blame him, man. It's 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 one of the things where us old people, we got to retire in Florida, so you might see me in a few years down there. So um, Gronkowski is, is, is not close to retirement, but we saw that a player like Gronkowski, it's more like his body's rested for a couple of years. You can't necessarily look at his biological age right now 
you, you got to look at how good is his body. I mean, I know he likes to party, but how much did he take care of himself? He seems like a guy that just is kind of like a, a gym rat. He's taking care of himself. So instant chemistry on the field. We know that quarterbacks and tight ends, when they're linked in together, they can wreak havoc on teams. Um, mm -hmm. If, you know, Tom Brady has a good O-line, which he had in, in um, Tampa, I mean, I don't see why they can't at the minimum be like a nine and seven, maybe an eight and eight, which is like a stretch. Cause we're talking about Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. <laughs> you know, they haven't really been a playoff contending team, great coaching. So I think it's one of the things where if Tom can stay healthy a couple, couple more years, yeah, suddenly, you know, the Bucks will become a playoff contending team and people are going to start flocking and like, Hey, I, I have a chance to win a championship. I'm going to go hang out with Tom Brady for a year. Cause we did see a couple of players do that. Like a Randy Moss that didn't get a championship with, you know, with new England, but you see players that'll jump on a team to try to get that ring that they've coveted so long. There's so many NFL guys out there that it might say, hey, they're putting something together here, you know. I want to go to have a chance to play in the Super Bowl and win a ring with Tom. So, I mean, I'm not going to root against him, but I will not root for him. Yeah, I uh, I made a bold statement about the Bucks not making the playoffs, and I was roasted. But I do agree. <laughs> I, think, I think if anyone's going to screw up what they have, it's going to be the Buccaneers. And I don't see that even if they play well – and work together as a great team. I don't see them going to the playoff this year, but I think next year, you know, I'm all for it. Um, so are you saying with an eight and eight or a nine and seven prediction, no playoffs for the Buccaneers this year? No, I think they're a 500 team around 500 at the best. And that's an improvement, you know, and that's the thing is you got to look at, it's kind of like the baby steps. You, you can't just suddenly sign one or two players and suddenly win. I mean, there's two mm -hmm. sides of the ball. You got, defense and you got an offensive line there's so many factors because look at some of tom brady's you know proteges under him you know like a matt castle did great in new england when tom brady goes down but then was a journeyman because he never had an o-line you look at jimmy g he's got a great supporting cast in the 49ers and that's why he succeeds so tom brady you know he may have a junk season if he's getting sacked every five snaps <laughs> No, no, I've, I've heard that opinion before, but I have uh, faith, in Bruce Ar uh, faith in Bruce Arians and what he's got going on in Tampa Bay that he will keep the GOAT safe. Well, um, <laughs> Charlie, I'm going to go ahead and give you a moment. Take the floor. Let the world know all the things that you are involved in and where we could find your show. Yeah, so first off, thank you, ladies, for having me on the show tonight. It was a pleasure. I, I wish I was in a better situation. I was driving when I first called you guys in, so just, just parked a few minutes ago. But no, World Sports Show airs every Sunday night, nine o'clock on WPPN 106.5 in Philadelphia. If you're outside of Philadelphia, you can just go to phillycam.org. That's our, our website for the um, radio station we're at, um, at World Sports Show on our different social medias. I'm at DJ Flow with an E at the end. Um, yeah, I, I thank you guys. And, and you know, I just love that you're let, let me just talk about, you know, coaching aspect and, and working with young women and, and just want to see more women in the sports industry like you guys is, you know, and interviewing me about women's sports. So, cause we don't have enough, you know, people in, in or women, I should say in, in sports covering sports. And I love that when women cover male sports and, and see things that we, you know, male correspondents miss because we all have, you know, our open minds to see things that might not have been there the first time. So, yeah. Right. So awesome to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, yeah, Charlie. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. It is DJ Flow with an E at the end. He is a great follow. So everyone go check him out and all the work that he's got going on. Charlie, thank you so much for being the first guest 
on Beauty in the Cleats. You have a great night. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Good night. Bye. He awesome. was awesome. He was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great first guest. For sure. Yeah. All when right. I saw that, like, he had his own podcast show thing going on, I was like, yo, great. He loves to talk sports. That's exactly what we need. <laughs> I love a great interview. I love to, like, just getting good takes outside of whatever sport they're kind of consumed in professionally. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that. He came with yeah, a, lot of, a lot of hot takes. He so let's jump into uh, what's trending this week on Twitter. So Kyle Kuzma made quite a Homer take on a tweet and said, called out the media and said, if you mess up the MVP, like you messed up defensive player of the year, we're going to have issues for real <laughs> FR for real. So he attached that to a video of LeBron James, kind of a little compilation of LeBron James. I don't know if it was playoffs through his career or this year, but um, give me your take because He's basically saying he wanted Anthony Davis to win defensive player of the year. And he wanted, he wants LeBron to take the MVP. Now I can see where he's coming from. He's a Homer, but yeah. tell me what your opinion did Giannis deserve the MVP? Does he deserve defensive player of the year, which he probably is going to get. Right. So Kyle Kuzma is obviously biased in this whole situation. He works alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James and is just upfront to all the greatness that is going on with the Lakers. With that being said, Giannis Antetokounmpo deserves to be Defensive Player of the Year. He has done so much for the Bucs organization defensively, and they're, they were leading top in defense. I mean, I'm just kind of happy that Rudy Gobert – didn't win because I mean, let's, let's, it's, he knocked out the whole league with the whole COVID situation. So uh, that, that was always setting on me that I did not want him to win. But Anthony Davis uh, was also on there. Kawhi Leonard, uh, Brooke, Lo Brooke Lopez, and Bam mm -hmm. Adebayo. So there, there were a lot of great picks, but I am satisfied with Giannis uh, mm -hmm. being chosen for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, but Kaylee, speaking of Giannis, I want to know. They they're done. Ugh. Yeah, they're, they're done. Um, Giannis yeah. was out of the last two games because of, of a right ankle sprain. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was not able to be there for his team. Do you think Giannis playing would have made a difference in that Miami series? Because they lost four to one. Do you think it would have been maybe a game seven possibility, which is what I predicted in the beginning of the series with Giannis playing? Obviously. Yeah, yeah, I think it's tough to see where the heat really fall right now. And I think without Giannis, you don't get a true really test of what the Bucks were capable of in postseason. I mean, this is a player's league. It is a, it's a star's league. And I think without him, it's not quite the same team. Obviously I agree. I think he deserves the MVP. He deserved the defensive player of the year. I mean, he leads, he leads LeBron James. He leads Anthony Davis. You're seeing a guy who makes an impact at every part of the game. And I think it's a little hard to really get a sense of how good Miami is this year without have seeing that whole series play out. And I do think you're, you're looking at a game seven if he's there. I mean, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's a hot take. I don't even think that's questionable. I think you no. see a seven game series and right now the Raptors are up on the Celtics. So, you know, plenty of time for that to change, but what do you think going into you know, Miami's next series, how do you think that changes based on 
whether they face Toronto or they face Boston. Obviously, Boston leads 3-2. Toronto's coming up. So if Toronto takes this game, we're, you know, we're heading into game seven for the series. So what are what are you thinking the future of the Heat is at this point? So in my perspective, I think Miami did not play the Bucks as well as they should have, especially in those last two games. They had 21 tra- turnovers in game five, and it was just – it was very sloppy. I mean, with Giannis not being on the floor, with the you know defensive player of the year not being on the floor, there there was a lot of missed open shots. I mean, the Miami the Miami Heat have a lot of young players, but I mean they got Jimmy buckets and they got uh you know Igadawa, which is a lot of, of a lot of veterans to lead these rookies to you know great games, and they just they just have, their performance has not been uh, to their standards, and um, I honestly think it's going to be uh, a Celtics. Uh, Miami uh, finals, honestly, I don't see the right. Maybe the Raptors could win this game, but I don't see them closing out the Celtics. Uh, there was an injury rumor going on that Ibaka, uh, Serge Ibaka had a boot, uh, a boot on his left foot. So he was dealing with some irritation. So injury is starting to creep up on the Raptors. So with that being said, I do not see them closing out the Boston Celtics. Like I said, it could possibly go to a game seven, but I actually have the Celtics closing out the game tonight because I truly believe in what they got going on offensively. They are just, they're a monster of a team. For sure. I agree with you. I think the Celtics close it out. I I don't think they're going to game seven. That's just my opinion. But if they do, I think they still take it. And I think we're going to see the Heat fall apart a little in the next series. I don't think, I think you're right. They're sloppy. I think the performance given that Giannis was absent is pretty unacceptable at that point. I think you're missing things that are kind of clear cut without him there. I think you, we're just going to see the demise of the heat if they yeah. play. And I think that they're, they're going to get exposed in the they are. Yes. They're sure. getting exposed. But even if, the, you know, let's say the Raptors were to make it to the Eastern conference finals, I still see them beating Miami, honestly, without them having Kawhi. Speaking about Kawhi, did you see that block um, at the end of game three against uh, the Nuggets when yes. Kawhi went straight up as Jamal Murray was coming down to the basket, yes. went straight up and flat-footed, went straight up and blocked him with his middle finger. Did you see that play and what was your take on it? I love Kawhi Leonard with all of my heart and my soul. And I honestly want his laugh to be my ringtone. And when he does <laughs> things like that, I just, my heart. I'm going to show a quick picture of what I found on Twitter of hold on let's see if i can do this if anybody sees the middle finger (laughs) that is i mean (laughs) whoever made that deserves a raise i don't even know what their job is yesterday that was so funny but i'm sorry Uh, taylor continue no no but (laughs) he, he warms my heart and soul with his personality and you know he might not he might not put it out there the way other people do, but I see it. It's in there. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, yeah I see the Clippers uh, being successful with the uh, Denver Nuggets series. I believe in Michael Malone and, and Jamal Murray and, and Jokic and everybody that they got going on, but I mm-hmm. don't think it's enough to beat Kawhi Leonard because that man is so determined, and you love him for a reason. This man could ball. He's a bad man of the NBA in my perspective. Mm-hmm. So. He's a monster. Speaking of uh, Michael Malone, let's go mm -hmm. ahead into this topic of 
an interview that struck my attention last week. Uh, Michael Malone was being interviewed after a game and he kind of, he took it personal and got straight to the point about what has been on his mind about the NBA. He called out the NBA for coaches not being allowed to have any guests in the bubble. So mm -hmm. as everyone can see there, the players are allowed guests in the bubble. They've had family members, you know, Marcus Morris kissed his baby on the sideline. Like they have their family there and the, the referees are even allowed to have one guest uh, per ref. Now, the coaches, the coaches nor the staff are allowed to have any of their family members or friends in the bubble. And I, I was kind of taken back by that because I feel like, yeah. you know, out of all those, of course, you know, the players deserve the respect of having their family there and, you know, being able to play without your family being around has to be tough. But I mean, the coaches go through a lot of turmoil as well. I mean, leading their team is a lot of work. There's a lot of sleepless nights not having your friends or family there. I'm not really liking that. I'm kind of thinking that I agree with Michael Malone when he's saying shame on you, NBA. Kaylee, I want to know your take. Yeah. So the NBA came out yesterday and opened up that policy to staff and coaches. Now, the real question is why did that decision come days and a week after the decision to allow players and referee guests. And again, I don't know whether that's a COVID policy thing. They're trying to kind of like, maybe they're trying to ripple affect the people coming in to limit the amount of exposure. I don't know. Um, but Brad Stevens also made a comment about it saying that he would reserve his opinions um, for the NBA and speak to them directly, which I did respect. I think that's a very classy move on his part. Yeah. Um, but they are allowed 10 coaches or 10 guests per staff that includes coaches and other staff. So, I mean, that works out to probably right around what the refs are allowed, um, as far as guests go, if I had right. to estimate, but I think, you know, I don't know if it was because of pushback from coaches and from the public, or if they really just were kind of rolling out the guest policy, um, kind of one thing at a time and tackling each of those protocols individually. I'd like to think that that's what happened. I mean, honestly, like I was impressed. I don't know if you saw, they created a school for players, children. I'd have to assume that includes children of staff as well. I'm not sure, but it, they've made the right moves. And so this one, it did hurt right when it came out, it didn't seem, he said it, it's, yeah. Criminal, and I do agree at that point in time when Mike Malone was speaking on it, that seemed very, very like that it was bad because you're right. They're in the bubble. They're isolated from people. I think mental health wise, it takes a toll on them. And I do think performance wise, I think we are seeing an elevated performance from the NBA, from the teams in the play. Like we're seeing the truest form of performance we're, we've ever seen, right? Because that truly is, there's no home court advantage. I mean, even when the Magic were in the conversation, that's really not home court advantage. You're in a bubble. You're in a whole different, you know, venue. I think we're seeing the truest form of basketball and we're seeing the truest form of postseason basketball. But right. it does take a toll mentally when your family's not there. And I, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to say that that policy was in the works. Um, that's what they've stated. But I would be disappointed if that was not the case.
No, I understand where you're coming from. And that does kind of make sense that maybe they were just giving it more time to have more of a control of the whole COVID situation. Because honestly, the bubble is the first time this has ever happened in NBA history. As long as this league has been around, as long as any of these sports leagues, as long as the world has been around, this has never really happened to this, you know, pandemic point that we've ended up in. So it's a first time for everybody. So Speaking of first time, let's go ahead and switch gears and talk mm. about some NFL between Kaylee Chikoski and Ruth the Truth. Yeah. One. Okay, so oh. tomorrow. This is NFL Eve right now, guys, because we guys. have our first NFL game tomorrow. This isn't preseason. This is the real deal. We have the Houston Texans facing off uh, the Super Bowl champs of last year and Patrick Mahomey, as James Flash Ludeman mm. always likes to call him, yes. the Mahomey. I got to know, what is your take on the what's going to unravel tomorrow and this weekend? Yeah. So, you know, I think we talked a little bit about this on Sports Caffeine. I have to think that you'd have to be Patrick Mahomes in the air, right? You're not going to come in with, you know, the two Johnsons on the ground game and say, we're going to take out the Chiefs. That's not happening. I don't care how good Deshaun Watson is. I don't care how big his contract is. I don't care. It's not happening. You have to beat him in the air, and that's the only way it's going to work. Brandon Cooks is now questionable for week one, a person they cannot miss because you bring him in to replace DeAndre Hopkins. He needs to be up and running. You've got Brandon Cooks, maybe. You've got Randall Cobb. You've got Will Fuller. I mean, it's going to place a lot more pressure on their other receivers and their other skill players, but I just don't see it happening. I don't see Houston holding up. I think we're going to have a lot of offense. It's going to be a fun game to watch. Sloppy, kind of rusty, but I think both teams are going to find the end zone. I just think where the Chiefs got better and stayed elevated, I think the Texans really, they're missing. They've got some holes that they they tried to fill, but they just could not. So I'm going to say, I'm saying 30-14 Chiefs. I, we're going to see the Texans get in the end zone, but I don't think that's going to be the tail of the tape for tomorrow. No, that was very generous of you saying that they were going to score that much. <laughs> I mean, week one with no preseason, I have to think we'll get some offense going. Yeah, no, Kansas City is going to be, you know, lighting up the flames because they have so much to prove this year. And I mean, I, I want them to prove that there's no such thing as a Super Bowl hangover and they're oh just going to come out of the woodworks, you know? I want it for them so bad. I mean, I want them to go back. I think, you know, I just, I see Patrick Mahomes getting better. I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to decrease in productivity. I think if anything, he's going to look similar to 2018. Right. So we're in for it. Yeah. As long as the guy can stay healthy for sure. Yeah. So um, James Flash Ludeman had wrote an article about his predictions. I don't know if anybody read it, but you guys should check it out. It is on James Flash Ludeman and the Seth mm-hmm. underscore sales on Twitter is where you can find it. But he made the prediction that <laughs> that the Cowboys are going to be facing the Ch- uh, the Chiefs in the final uh, Super Bowl. What is your take on that? I mean, the Cowboys I, voted. Don't ask me because you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm all about that happening. I think Mike McCarthy is going to be a breath of fresh air for our team with CeeDee Lamb, with Michael Gallup, with Amari Cooper. We just have what you know weapons coming out of the woodworks. And if Zeke could stay out of trouble for once in his life, I'm, I'm, I feel like we can make a really impactful season with Dak Prescott is playing for a contract. So do you think yeah. that was – 
you know, was he crazy for saying that? Or do you think that's something that could possibly happen? Oh, I think it is possible. And I do think that it's likely, to be honest with you, as much as I think the Cowboys have been a little looked over heading into the season. I think we all recognize what their offense has to offer, but I don't think people see it past like a very brief postseason stint, right? I think people are looking at them as, you know, they're looking at Dak Prescott as the Dak Prescott of the past couple years. And that's just not the case, right? He's playing for a contract. He's playing with a locked and loaded offense. I think their whole offensive scheme is going to be way more balanced, right? We're going to see, we're going to see the ball in the air. We're going to see the ball on the ground. We're going to see that offensive line really hold up. That's, I mean, I have no doubt about that. Their defense, honestly, it's there. And I, I, it's not, we're not leading the league by any, you know, stretch of the imagination, but there's, there's something there. And I think for them to get to the Super Bowl, I think people would be really naive to laugh it off. So I would love to see, I would love to see the Chiefs back. I would love to see the the Cowboys there. I think that would be a really refreshing Super Bowl experience. Right. After not being there yeah. for 25 years, I would yeah. be the happiest girl ever. Mm-hmm. I bet you would. I mean, that is honestly like that would be a really cool Super Bowl. I think we would, it'd be hard, like as much as people hate the Cowboys or whatever, I think they hate them saying? less than they hate a lot of other teams. So I would be excited to see them there. I'm not complaining at all. But I mean, we'll see. I mean, let's hop into Monday night football, though, because I'm my hot take for week one and the season is that Danny Dimes is going to have a breakout year. So I don't see the Giants winning, but I do see it being close. Now, you can tell me I'm crazy, but I'd love to hear your take on Monday night. You're (laughs) crazy. So, okay, the New York Giants uh, facing the the Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, Monday Night Football. I mean, I do believe in Danny Dimes because, I mean, the kids showed off some skills last season. I can't even, you know, front. I mean, he didn't have the weapons that he needed, and he was great on the run. He was great on the feet. So, I mean, I see them having, you know, but like like Coach, I will agree with Coach Charlie. I do not see the Giants winning more than five games this season. I just – I don't see it. You know, with Jason Garrett being in charge of the offense and him being our – ex head coach for the uh the Cowboys. I I don't I don't have any faith in him. If he couldn't get it done in Dallas, I don't see him getting it done in New York. But that's What do you think about uh what do you think about that that comment? Big Ben with the comeback of the year campaign. Big Ben. I mean, Big Ben Roethlisberger. Let's see you do it, buddy. I mean, it's coming to the end. I mean, he's definitely through his prime. So I'm not going to say that everybody should put the, you know, all their eggs in one basket when it comes to Big Ben. But, I mean, Michael Tomlin is one of the most respected coaches in the NFL. I've always been a fan of his. Mm-hmm. And Juju Smith-Schuster is, you know, I met him at the Pro Bowl two years Love ago. Him. He was a really great guy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'll, you know, of course, when it comes to the Giants, I say Steelers. I'm going to go with them. Okay, fair. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be close. I think there's going to be a lot of close games for the Giants, but I don't see their record being good. So I think they're one of those teams you're going to look back on at the end of the season as we head into playoffs and say, like, they could be here, but they weren't, right? So yeah. I think – and I think that's kind of where they're going to fall. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him kind of run the table on everyone, but right. um, it is what it is. I mean, it, he looked good last year, so we'll see what they can do with him this year for sure. Right. 
So uh, let's go week one with Jags. What are what do they got going on for week one? Oh, What's we're facing the like? Colts. Um, to be honest with you, the Texans. I don't. They're not. They're not taking the division, so I'm not worried about that. The Colts do worry me. I'm not going to lie to you. I think the Colts. They're going to put up the points on us. To be honest, I think coming out in the first game. We are going to look rusty. We don't even know what's going on with our offense. I, there seems to be some sort of turmoil in the front office, and I say that as if it hasn't been going on for years, but <laughs> there seems to be some elevated turmoil in the front office. And, you know, players are leaving, and you've got Jalen Ramsey with the commentary every time it happens. Um, yeah, not, he, he not really is, but I love him, so allowed. Um, but, yeah, I – the Colts are good and I think they're sneakily good, right? I think people are, they're not on the top of people's minds, but I think they're coming for the division. I would love to see if it can't be us. I'd rather it be the Colts. I do not want to see the Titans anywhere near the playoffs. I'm over it. Yeah, but I'm a Dan- Derrick Henry fan and they did knock out the, yeah. t- they did knock out, you know, Tom Brady and the Patriots. And I feel like that game was like a big, part of Tom Brady, you know, making his final decision to leave the New England Patriots. So I got to show some respect for them. But my Dallas Mm -hmm. Cowboys are going to be facing off um, the L.A. Rams. And I'm very excited for that game because I just want to punch them in the mouth over that whole game uh, when we got (laughs) knocked out in the playoffs back in 2019. So I'm definitely excited to see that. But, yeah, football is here, guys. We are in the NFL Eve and uh, Kaylee, do you have any yeah, final yeah. thoughts before we wrap things up here for episode three of Beauty and the Cleats? Guys, episode three, that's kind of crazy. Um, I'm excited, though, because it's the last episode without NFL football recaps. So, guys, we'll have them for you next week. So make sure you're tuning in. Wear your mask. Be nice to your kickers because I'm over it. Let's stop talking bad about our kickers. And, you know, catch us on Instagram at Beauty and the Cleats podcast, on Twitter at Beauty underscore Cleats, on Facebook with, uh, I think it's just Beauty and the Cleats there, and then YouTube, Beauty and the Cleats, and we will catch you guys next week. You got anything, Ruth? Thank you so much for tuning in. We are over and out. Just giving a, a scores update. It is 98 to 94, and Toronto is up with three minutes and 33 seconds left in the game. So, Let's see what happens. Thank you for tuning in for episode three. Enjoy the rest of your night. Bye, guys.